much. I'm Laura Hedlund. I'm a student of permaculture, a food patriot to the natural world, and a person who knows cheap food is not cheap unless you're eating lentils. <laughs> and that's what the show is about today. It's all about lentils. And I'm Karen Olson Johnson. I'm the resource lead development for the Women's Congress for Future Generations, the director of the Council of Contributors and Organization Minnesota based that's working to save the rhino in Africa from extinction. And a real foodie. That's why I'm liking this show today. Cool. And behind the, <laughs> behind the scenes is Hunter. Good morning, Hunter. Morning. Morning. And so I love this quote. Okay, 40 years ago, corporate agribusiness launched a campaign to push small grain farmers to modernize or perish. As the Nixon administration's Secretary of Agriculture, Eric Earl Butts, put it, get big or get out. But 27-year-old David Oyen decided to take a stand. And that's what our show's about today. Welcome to the show, David. It's great to be here. And 27-year-old David Oyen, that was some time ago, wasn't it? Uh, it was. That was 40 years ago for me. I don't know how long it was ago for the rest of you. But... <laughs> it was a while, but okay. I remember Nixon and I remember Earl Butts. Yeah, yeah and I remember, get bigger, get out. But what what was your guys' response to that? Well, um you know the uh, uh, the government program at that time really was to was to help industrialize agriculture and to and to um, serve global markets you know rather than local markets um, and as part of that uh, federal farm policy was to encourage farmers to capture you know what is commonly called uh, the economy of scale get big get big and um, you know when I moved back to the farm. My father, who was a conventional farmer, I'm a I'm a, a third generation Montana farmer. My grandparents homesteaded in the early 1900s, um, and but when I moved back to the farm, uh, my dad had you know kind of joined that um, evolution of agriculture post World War II evolution, used increasing farming inputs, um, fertilizers, pesticides, and so forth. Uh, but by the time I moved back to the farm in 1976, you know, there was this kind of this this push afoot on the federal level uh, policy, federal farm program and so forth, to get bigger, get out. And um, you know, that really didn't suit me because our farm was, you know, a relatively small farm. In those days, it was considered maybe a medium-sized farm, 380-acre farm. Um, but my dad said something to me because I asked him, I said, you know, Dad, why did you not by the neighbors when they were retiring or they needed to sell out. And he said, you know, I would rather have the neighbors than have the neighbor's land. (laughs) Oh, nice. Yeah, because that whole get big, get out was devastating for our rural area. Exactly. Had very, very negative impacts on, on, on small rural communities especially. You know, he carried that to the logical extension. Well, there's only one farmer left in the county. If, you know, you kind of keep buying your neighbors out, get bigger and get bigger, you know, to become more and more efficient, well, sooner or later, um, you lose the rural culture, you lose uh, the the small businesses in the small towns, and the farms kind of dry up. And in fact, uh, that that happened, um, you know, during the um, um, during the seventies and eighties, happened very dramatically. Very and, dramatically. And get bigger, get out was a supposedly an economic panacea that it was going to solve so many problems, right? Yeah. And it was going to address so many needs, you know, like feeding everybody and you know taking care of agriculture. I mean, this was like a way for farmers to take care of themselves, get big, you know, right. increased yields, increased profit, you know, all of that sort of thing. But something happened, didn't it? Yeah. Um, even though, you know, even though we have continued to get big and get out, you know, gen- generally in agriculture, um, we are still not feeding the world. You know, that, that there are still people going hungry no matter how big farms have gotten, you know, no matter how efficient farms have gotten, no matter how much chemicals and how many pesticides and, and, and fertilizers farmers are using. Uh, so... The problem of feeding the world is really kind of, you know, a false, a false promise in the sense. And that was one of the things that, you know, really, you know, kind of, I think, struck, I mean, myself and other people of my generation who moved back to their family farms and converted them to organic production because uh, we just saw that, you know, that bigger kid big out was, was, was really a false promise and and was not going to be helpful for the soil or for the communities. And Mm -hmm. I love this quote from your dad that I'd rather have my neighbors than my neighbor's land. So now what did you do 40 years ago? What did you start doing in in Montana? Well, 
Um, after a degree in philosophy and religious studies, and you know, having read uh, Rachel Carson's *Silent Spring*, uh-huh. and and uh, Buckminster Fuller's *Small Is Beautiful*, you know, Buckminster and- Fuller, *Utopia* or, or *Oblivion*. I love that book. <laughs> it literally <laughs> fell on my foot once. Yeah. It was like *Utopian* or *Oblivion*. Got it. Yeah. And in, that, in those days, I mean, *Whole Earth Catalog* <laughs> yeah. was the other one. I mean, *Rodale Institute* was getting started. I mean, all of those things, you know, yeah. I mean, really spoke to me. So. You know, rather than big, get bigger, get out. You know, my question was, how can how how can we stay small and get better rather than get big and get out? And and the way I approached that was to convert the farm to certified organic production. You know, look for different markets, look for ways to build the soil rather than uh, rather than deplete the soil with other with ever larger production. And uh, so. Um, Converted the farm to certified organic, and as part of that, um, <clears throat> the synthetic fertilizers that my father was using was not, um, you know, was, was not appropriate for organic production. It's like, well, how do how do we create this soil fertility biologically rather than chemically? And um, um, that's when I discovered legumes. That's when I discovered, you know, lentils more particularly. Oh my God, yeah. legumes! Like, uh. like legumes. Have, have humans ever? What? Have you, humans ever been eating legumes? Uh, you know, that's pretty interesting <laughs> because because uh, lentils, as an example, were one of the first crops that were domesticated. They're over ten thousand years old, and ten thousand years of proven study. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and people have been eating them for ten thousand years as well, using them in cropping rotations because, as uh, all legumes do, they can capture nitrogen from the air and and replenish the soil. Um, well, they take the nitrogen from the air and put it in the soil. Yeah, yeah, and that's that, that's done through a symbiotic relationship uh, with with bacteria that live in the soil. And yeah. why would the soil need nitrogen? Well, nitrogen is one of the uh, it, it is the single key limiter. Uh, uh, fertility limiter for all plants. Thank you. All plants need need mm-hmm. nitrogen to grow, and and that's the primary uh, nutrient that, that they do need. And you know, morally dick too. Somewhere along the line, evolution provided for a certain class of plants to do that on their own, in in symbiotic relationship with. Uh, and with when this you bacteria. just keep planting corn, season after corn, season after corn, or soy or whatever, what are you doing to the soil? And why would you want a legume? Okay, so um, when I moved back to, to Montana, um, at, at that time, in the climate we had at that point, um, nobody was growing corn, but everybody was growing wheat. Wheat was very well adapted to the northern Great Plains, which is where I come from, um, a semi-arid environment. Uh, grasses grow very well there, and uh, wheat, barley, oats are grass, and that was the primary crop that was produced, and that was also the cro- primary crop that was subsidized by the federal government uh, for you know this export mentality, this bigger get out mentality. Uh, narrow what you're growing, grow only what you know, grow only one or two crops, grow a lot of it with lots of fertilizer, and and um, that's how you know um, that's how. The economy is going to work in 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 rural America. In my geography, it was it was wheat. Uh, out here in the Midwest, it was primarily corn. Uh, but you know those crops do not produce their own nitrogen fertilizer. They they have no ability to capture uh, the nitrogen. So um, after a certain number of years, the the soil fertility just naturally degrades. The wheat, the the barley, the corn, whatever takes. Nutrients out of the soil and does not and, and does not replenish it. Uh, the legumes have the ability to recapture that nitrogen uh, from the air and and put it back in the soil. So so build the soil fertility naturally, biologically, not chemically. So I want to go back forty years ago when you started researching and starting to plant lentils. Um, what did your neighbors think about you when you were talking about lentils? Well, you know, rural communities are uh, they're kind of conservative. You know, by and large, and and um, and farmers by nature need to be cautious, need to be careful because they are facing, you know, the vagaries of the weather, the challenge of the market, and everything. So it's no surprise that you know farmers kind of tend to stick 
to doing what they know how to do and what has been, you know, more or less successful in the past, even if maybe over the course of time it has become less and less successful, you know, uh, once once markets drop, once soil fertility diminishes, once they have to add more and more chemicals, more fertilizer, you know, so the economics don't work as well, uh, you know. But even in spite of that, you know, growing a different crop kind of uh, is not always – <laughs> Highly accepted in rural areas. You probably let's, seem let's like kind of a renegade, way. right? Yeah, well, you know, uh, yeah. Some people, I'm sure, thought that. Something, and know. what do people now think? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that in the last uh, 10 to 12 years, uh, Montana has become the number one producer of lentils in America. And, and I, I take very little. I take very little credit for that. Actually, um, um, the lentil underground's gone mainstream. Yeah, yes. I know. Well, Montana. Let's not go there. That's That's not, at least in one state, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, ironically, uh, part of the reason for that is is the change in the federal farm program. When I moved back to the farm, you grew wheat, you grew barley, you got subsidized. If you grew anything else. You got penalized, and and that was the case on my farm. Every acre of lentils that I experimented with, every acre of lentils that I planted, or peas, or chickpeas, you know, whatever crop, um, the government actually penalized uh, that decision. We're having a wonderful conversation with David Oyen, a member of the Lentil Underground and co-founder of Timeless Seeds. Join us on the other side. This is Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. Mr. With all the convenient big box stores that sell appliances, why do so many Minnesotans choose Warner Stallion? Check online to find that Warner Stallion is a Minnesota family-owned business for over 60 years. Warner Stallion offers more appliance brands than any other, and our passionate specialists are motivated to impress you so much that you will refer Warner Stallion to everyone you know. That's our mission here at Warner Stallion. Ask around, check us out online, and when it's your time to buy new appliances, join nearly 300 Minnesotans and choose the appliance specialist, Warner Stallion. Common Roots Cafe is the perfect spot for the whole family to get delicious, local, and organic food. They have a great kids' menu equipped with games and coloring, while parents can enjoy a great local beer, wine, or specialty cocktail. It's never been a fad or a marketing ploy to make everything from scratch with local and organic ingredients. It's always been an unwavering commitment. If they can buy it local and organic or get it from their on-site garden, they will. Common Roots is located off 26th and Lindale and online at commonrootscafe.com. Are you in charge of the company gifts? Looking for a great work party gift or maybe just something nice for yourself? Hi, this is Richard Piepenberg with Vinaigrette, and we're ready for you. We package, gift wrap, and even deliver the finest oils and vinegars so you can simply enjoy the holidays. Since 2009, our family-owned and operated store has specialized in everything vinaigrette. Come in to tap, taste, and treasure. 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis and in downtown Excelsior at 287 Water Street. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Seward Co-op invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Shop Seward for your holiday meals. Currently offering local, free-range Ferndale turkeys and vegetarian options, fresh seasonal produce, house-made pies, other assorted baked goods, and locally made gifts at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coop. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. This is Ken Hagland of Minnesota Hospice, inviting you to listen to our brand new show, airing on AM 950 on Saturdays from noon to one. The Minnesota Hospice Show looks forward to discussing how we honor life and to exploring the physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional issues we experience throughout all stages of life. Learn how hospice is the new face of hope and how it's your benefit, your choice. Join us Saturdays at noon and check us out online at minnesotahospice.com. 
Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. And with us is someone who definitely planted some seeds of change by starting to grow lentils in Montana, which 40 years ago was kind of a weird thing to do. (laughs) But now Montana is the number one state in the United States for growing lentils. Yeah. This is David Oyen, a member of Lentil Underground, that's joining us. I mean, lentils, number one crop in Montana? Not in Montana, but they're number one lentil producers in the oh, U.S. Oh, right, right. number one yeah, lentil yeah. producer. So okay. Wheat is still number one in, okay. in Montana. Well, see, then I wanted to make it the number one <laughs> crop in Montana. Well, it should so be. I mean, it, would, it would make a lot of sense, though, yeah. wouldn't it? I mean, it yeah. really would make a lot of sense for it to be the number one crop, would it not? Well, you know, um, what what really makes sense, you know, agronomically, agroecologically uh, for farmers is to have a rotation that works, works in their environment, uh, works for building the soil and and works for, you know, disease and pest control by doing soil rotations and so forth. So, you know, in fact, there probably shouldn't be a number one crop. No. You know, yeah. there should be four, say, say four or five number one crops in the sense that, you know, uh, from wheat you rotate, you know, which is taking fertility out of the soil. You rotate into lentils, say, which replenishes the soil. Then maybe you rotate to an oilseed crop, you know, uh, might be. Uh, what are some good oilseed crops? Uh, uh, canola, flax, safflower. Sunflower. Those are appropriate for the uh, uh, for, for the northern Great Plains, you know, where I come from. Talk um, about the land where you're from. What is the land like? The rainfall and yeah, um, uh, uh, the northern Great Plains uh, was um, originally described uh, by by uh, one of the early explorers as the Great American Desert, and that is because it is low rainfall. Unlike here in Minnesota. You know, north central Montana, we get kind of 10 to 14 inches of, of, of annual precip total. And, and about, you know, a third to a half of that comes during the growing season. So that definitely limits what we can grow there, you know, without irrigation. I mean, we, we don't, we don't have a lot of, you know, surface water. We don't have aquifers and so forth. So, uh, irrigation is really quite limited in Montana to, uh, the few, um, um, uh, you know, river systems that there are, but but by and large, vast majority of acres in Montana are dry land, rain-fed only. So that limits the crops that we can choose to grow and that grow successfully there. Uh, the cereal grains are are, are one that, uh, that that do perform very well, wheat and barley, and as it turns out, also uh, the lentils and its cousins, chickpeas. And, and dried peas, uh, g- generically called pulse crops, uh, those are also well adapted. They originally uh, came from, uh, were domesticated about 10,000 years ago in the uh, in the Fertile Crescent, kind of the area that we currently call uh, Syria, Turkey, and so forth. And that is a semi-arid environment. Um, also, uh, these pulse crops, lentils, are suited to a cool season environment. So... A person would not be very successful growing lentils out here in Minnesota. Too much rain, too humid, too warm at night. Uh, whereas in in northern Montana, it's perfect. So you can so the lentil itself. Let's demystify it a little bit. Sure. You know, a lentil. You said you know has like Syrian roots. You know, Middle Eastern roots. Okay, and it's been around in this country for how long? Uh, you know, lentils were first kind of started. Uh, come into production in the U.S., uh, you know, maybe in the early 50s in the in the geographic area called the Palouse, that kind of that, that line between um, uh, Washington and, and Idaho, uh, the Palouse country. Um, and, and what's so magical about a lentil, nutritionally, protein-wise, carbon-wise? What, why, is it, why is it such a magical uh, Well, there are lots and lots of reasons. It, it, it is very nutritionally dense. It has, um, um, it's high in protein, it's high in dietary fiber, uh, it's high in folates, uh, uh, which is especially good for brain development, uh, for uh, fetal uh, development of the nervous system and so forth. Uh, Very low in glycemic index, meaning that if you have uh, diabetes, um, it's a it's a very beneficial food, um, slow slow nutrient release. It's also interestingly, it's also um, about fifty percent higher in antioxidants than blueberries or pomegranate. 
um, a juice. lowly lentil. It's, it's yeah. len- and the Who'd lentils. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Who'd have thought? <laughs> lentils have twice the protein of quinoa, so it's a high protein food. Um, it's good in iron. Twenty to forty percent recommended daily allowance of iron in a single service, single service, single uh, serving of lentils. Anything wrong with lentils? Uh, well, you know what, uh, what, what, what a lot of people sort of in their minds say. Well, you know, I get gas when mm-hmm. I eat when I eat beans, you know, or lentils is a is a is a cousin to beans, you know. Um, a lot of that just has to do with the digestive system. The fact that the American diet, in particular, people just do not get the dietary fiber that they need. So, you know, when they eat foods that are high in dietary fiber, then their their microflora in their guts, you know, try to adjust to that and and until the the microflora kind of evolve to a new diet, then you get, you know, you get some negative reaction, if you will. Well, only for a time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, only for a time. But the but it's a it's an incredibly important crop in terms of other food sources, right? When you compare the carbon footprint of a lentil to the carbon footprint of uh, corn or the carbon footprint of beef, okay? It's an yeah, you, you have a chart in front of you, so yeah. you want to read yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, environmental working group uh, put out a chart of some of some common foods. Uh, a couple of years back, and they rated their uh, their carbon footprint, um, and uh, the graph is really you know very interesting. It it, it compares the um, kilograms of carbon dioxide contributed to the environment compared to uh, the kilograms, uh, you know, basically a couple pounds, but basically um, uh, kilograms of uh, of food consumed, and. As it turns out, uh, lentils were extremely low on that graph, the lowest of, of any of the foods that they tested. They did uh, all the meats, cheese, pork, eggs, potatoes, kind of a, a lot of the staple foods. Um, and uh, Beef, as an example, both, both the on-farm uh, CO2 contribution and the, and the post-farm uh, contribution in the sense of transportation, cooking, and so forth, processing. Uh, for beef, for example, it was uh, 27 times more uh, carbon dioxide um, added to the environment uh, than lentils were. Uh, yeah. um, so I want to I just review all this yeah. stuff again. So lentils are really good for the environment because they're a low-carbon footprint. So they're, and, and we know that uh, food is a big driver of climate change. About 30%, according to Paul Hawken in Drawdown. Yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah. the grain said it was up to 50%, but I think yeah. they're also counting, like, refrigeration and all that storage. Sure. So between 30 and 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also it's good for human health, mm-hmm. and it's good for soil health. Right. And, and, and then are farmers making money with it? Uh, well, that's that is is the reason that we started Timeless Seeds, uh, the the company that that three friends and I started, um, myself started when we moved back to Montana. Uh, one of the things that we discovered was that we knew we wanted to grow these crops. We wanted to grow lentils uh, for the crop rotations, for building the soil, for all the things that for the uh, philosophy that, reasons that we talked about, right? <laughs> because your dad said that he'd rather have neighbors than the neighbors' land. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, uh, you know. But as part of that. Then we said, well, we we need to market it. We, we, we need to create uh, the ability to go from the farm, you know, to to uh, to the grocery store shelf, basically. And um, and, um, and I think we're going to have to take a little okay. break now, but that's going to be the topic of next. How did we get from this wonderful philosophical world where we'd rather have neighbors in the neighbor's land <laughs> to a marketing system where everyone can also get their needs met. And get your pencils out. Recipes. Recipes for cooking lentils. Are you in charge of the company gifts? Looking for a great work party gift or maybe just something nice for yourself? Hi, this is Richard Piepenberg with Vinaigrette and we're ready for you. We package, gift wrap, and even deliver the finest oils and vinegars so you can simply enjoy the holidays. Since 2009, our family-owned and operated store has specialized in everything vinaigrette. Come in to tap, taste, and treasure. 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis and in downtown Excelsior at 287 Water Street. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com, from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. 
Sears Lounge and Supper Club invites you to check out their beautiful facilities for your next special occasion. Book your wedding reception, retirement party, business dinner, or other special event with confidence, knowing their expert staff and award-winning chef will make it a big hit with your guests. Call today to get a quote, 763-571-9020. STEM offers exquisite and exciting wines from around the world, served in a beautiful space showcasing a culmination of old world and new. While wine is their focus, STEM also has artisan beer, seasonal cocktails, and delicious rotating small plates. STEM is located at 24 University Avenue in Northeast Minneapolis. Learn more at stemminneapolis.com. Seward Co-op invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Shop Seward for your holiday meals. Currently offering local, free-range Ferndale turkeys and vegetarian options, fresh seasonal produce, house-made pies, other assorted baked goods, and locally made gifts at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coop. Ho-Chunk Gaming, Wisconsin, wherever you are and however you like it, we're just the place you're looking for. Six unique, fun, exciting, winning destinations located throughout central Wisconsin. Make your rounds to Wittenberg, Nakusa, Black River Falls, Toma, Madison, or Wisconsin Dells for the hottest slots, most exciting games, award-winning guest service, delicious food and spirits, lodging, and live entertainment. Join the Ho-Chunk Gaming Rewards Club for free. And with a single card, you can earn valuable points no matter which of the six locations you choose to play. That means more exclusive. Exclusive offers, giveaways, cash back, discounts, and much more. Visit us online to see all we have to offer and find the fun times nearest you at HoChunkGaming.com. So wherever you are and however you like it, we're just the place you're looking for. Ho-Chunk Gaming, Wisconsin, Wittenberg, Nakusa, Black River Falls, Toma, Madison, and Wisconsin Dells. Experience the difference. Ho-Chunk Gaming, Wisconsin. Must be 21 or over to play. Hi, I'm Kirk Duckwall with Bricks Real Estate, here to let you know the Twin Cities Real Estate Show is back. Tune in each Sunday starting at noon to keep up with the latest news in the Twin Cities real estate market. You can also catch my business partner, Chad Vandalot, and myself as we fill you in on the most up-to-date tools, trends, and technology to give you the edge when buying or selling. Again, that's the Twin Cities Real Estate Show on this station, Sundays starting at noon. plant the seeds of change, and we're planting more seeds of change today with a seed planter. Um, Damon Oyen, a member of the Lentil Underground and founder of Timeless Seeds. We're talking about lentils, and I just have to black beluga lentils, French-style lentils, pardina lentils, green lentils, petite crimson lentils, harvest gold lentils. I mean, hello, lentils, right? And when we left for break, uh, we were talking about the, the money associated with growing lentils, Right. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, when uh, the, th- the three friends and I that started this business, Timeless Seeds, uh, we actually started in 1987. I mean, one of the reasons that we that we were looking for alternative crops was to make our, you know, small or medium-sized farms more economically viable. And one of the ways of doing that, uh, we created this business in order to take the, the, the raw farm production, basically, and, and bring it to food-grade standards and then... Um, and then um, introduce it to the marketplace, you know. And we've had the good fortune of being able uh, to do that fairly successfully. We have a, uh, a one-pound uh, retail format that's found in you know many many. It's in the co-ops, natural here in the food Twin stores. Cities. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. The Twin yeah, Cities yeah, got yeah, yeah, all across the country and yeah. online. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, online yeah. as well. Sure. Yeah. And what do people look for? If they're shopping at the co-op and they want to buy your products, what do they look for? Uh, Timeless Natural Food is the is the uh, brand name. Of the uh, of the products, uh, we have one pound, you know, retail packages. It would be found in kind of the recent uh, rice and, and bean aisle, and also we're in, you know, many many of the um, uh, of the bulk food. Uh, distribution bins. And if people can't get to a co-op online, where do they find you? Uh, TimelessFood.com. Okay. okay. Yeah. And let's okay. talk. I mean, so part of this was to help farmers develop a new income stream. And, yep. But you also won an Outstanding Agricultural Leader Award uh, from the Montana, from the state of Montana, because you and your friends helped develop a system that 
uses less energy, is ecologically regenerative and economically sound. That was the goal, and we, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, to to one degree or another, we've been successful in doing that. You know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And economically sound means what? Well, economically sound means that uh, that both. The, the farms, the farm families can be, you know, economically viable, you know, and resilient, but also those local communities as well. Um, and one of the things that was maybe a bit of a surprise to me in the sense that that um, in the development of this business, you know, we have also created uh, good-paying jobs with insurance, you know, with IRAs, with other benefits for uh, 20 um, our, our, our 20 employees and uh, the 30 farmers that we now contract with. We just started with, you know, trying to trying to uh, market the product off our own farms, the original four founders of the business, and now we contract with over 30 farmers in um, in central and in, in eastern Montana. And um, yeah. it, now, I met you at the 35th National Pesticide Conference that was held here right. in the cities in this last spring. And and one of the things, because this doesn't need pesticides, it comes with its own ecosystem that functions without chemical inputs. Uh, yeah, you know, for, uh, for for organic growers at least, you know, um, many you know many of the pulse crops, many many of the lentils, the vast majority actually, you know, are, are produced under under. Kind of conventional farming systems, um, um, organic farmers, you know, definitely have their challenges, uh, but but uh, there are ways to meet those challenges, and part of them ha- just has to do with management and and with with crop rotations, you know, with with, with um, following one crop with another in in the right sequence, because the diseases, uh, the funguses. Uh, the insects that that attack wheat, say for example, uh, do not attack the lentils, right? Because it's a it's a totally different crop. So one of the real advantages of crop rotations is to diminish uh, pest pressure on um, you know on crops within that rotation. So just as it does not make sense um, to grow wheat after wheat after wheat, uh, that that monocropping, that monoculture, that uh, just creates an environment that is that is ripe for pest infestation. Introduce lentils into that; that breaks those pest cycles. Uh, but the same thing would happen with lentils. You know, you, you can't grow lentils, you can't grow peas, you can't grow chickpeas. Same field year after year after year, or um, you know, uh, the farmers just opening uh, themselves right. up to uh, to uh, to pest infestations. One of the things you showed at that um, conference is a nice chart that showed how many pounds the average American eats of beef, chicken, turkey, as compared to lentils. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So uh, the average American eats uh, per year uh, 195 pounds of red meat per person per year. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. And and uh, wheat, which is uh, you know another common staple in our diet in the form of whatever pancakes, hamburger buns, whatever, uh, the average American eats 175 pounds of wheat per year. So how many pounds do you think, Karen, the average American eats of lentils per year? Oh, I know it's a trick question, but <laughs> all right, I'm going to say two. Okay. Well, I I, I wish that were the case. <laughs> The average American eats 10 ounces of lentils per person per year. Okay. Uh, so so if Americans would eat more lentils, they would reduce their carbon footprint. That's right. They would be more healthy. Yeah. They would build up the local economy. Yeah. And they would eat some really tasty food. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm a lentil newbie, okay? And you have convinced me. I now want to eat more lentils. Well, that's right? good. Okay. Yeah. I'm a lentil. I'm pretending, right? Yeah. But I'm a lentil newbie, and I'm listening. <laughs> so, okay, this is like I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to buy some. Now what do I do, David? I have them. <laughs> now what yeah. do I do? Yeah, well, you know, lentils are really uh, an undiscovered treasure. Um, they've been grown on this planet for 10,000 years, they've been eaten. They've been in diets for 10,000 years. There are literally thousands and thousands of recipes, you know, online in cookbooks for lentils. And they cover the entire spectrum. 
Most people in America, you say lentil, they think, well, a lentil soup, you know. I had that out of a can when I was a kid, and I hated it. <laughs> uh, the fact is, lentils are an extremely versatile ingredient. And, um, you know, you can go to uh, our website, timelessfood.com. You can go to uh, the U.S. Dry Pea and Lentil website and, and find hundreds of recipes, thousands of recipes. You know, if you search the entire Internet, they cover everything from, you know, from, from chip dips to appetizers to soups to salads to main dishes, um, even 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 to desserts. Can and, you hide them in food so kids will eat them? Yeah, you know... Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, because no, you no. have to. They have totally. to get used to something. Yeah, absolutely right. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and um, lentils are now uh, appearing in in uh, in school lunch programs, K through twelve oh, lunch programs. Um, and the uh, th- there's this whole movement called farm to school movement, where uh, the, the school lunch programs are trying to increase the nutrition value of of the school lunches. And th- this is one of the things that they look at. Is, well, how can how can we get the kids to actually eat them? Yeah, and yeah. and you know, my kids grew up um, with with lentils as a substitute or or, or as uh, an addition to to meat to, to hamburger in in uh, pasta sauces and tacos and so forth. Mm. You know, and um, and they can either be. Uh, a hundred percent substitute, or a twenty percent, or or fifty percent. I'd love to addition. eat at all the Ethiopian restaurants and Somali restaurants in town. And my daughter loves her lentils. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the spicing, and there's a each lentil. You, you talked a little about the different types of lentils. Right. Can we talk about these specific lentils and how you might prepare them? And yeah, do they have different tips? tastes, David? Uh, you know, they, they they do have a slightly different uh, a different taste. If you're real, you know, lentil aficionado, um, <laughs> um, you, you can distinguish them. But if you find a recipe for lentils, you, you can really substitute, you know, uh, what one for the other. Hey, do you have a favorite lentil? Well, you know. Um, oh come on! I'll answer that two different ways. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a favorite lentil um, that. That timeless actually introduced to the marketplace. Uh, we call it the black beluga lentil. It's a small black lentil. It was actually kind of co-named with one of our customers because he said, "Wow, this this is beautiful. Uh, this looks like caviar. You know, uh-huh. you should call it. You should call it beluga lentil." I thought, well, that's a great <laughs> idea. So we did that. And the fact is, uh, before 1994, there was there was no black beluga lentil. We. Oh. We introduced it. We named it. We were growing it as as a cover crop, strictly as a, as a green manure crop to build the soil. I was feeding it, you know, the screenings to my uh, to my livestock, to my pigs, my cattle, my sheep. Uh, we were eating it ourselves. Uh, we did a test for that lentil. It was the highest protein of any lentil that we'd ever wow. tested. That's you know, impressive. And it hadn't killed anybody. You know, it hadn't, <laughs> killed, hadn't killed me or my kids, hadn't killed my cattle. Well, wait a minute. You know, maybe we should introduce into the marketplace. So uh, that, that's my favorite lentil just because it's, it's kind of the calling card for timeless seeds. Okay, okay. so uh, someone's going to buy this for the first time. Right. How should they prepare it? What should they do with it? Well, wow. There are that that th- th- there are many many ways you know to produce or to uh, uh, to use the lentils. I like uh, the black lugas. I like them just substitute them in any basically any recipe that calls for lentils. Uh, lentil soup. Um, I especially like them in in in, uh, in cold salads. Actually, just cook it up with you know some um, uh, some spices. You know, maybe a little bay leaf, something like that. Um, uh, scallions. Saute some onions, some some uh, some carrots. Maybe add uh, um, uh, walnuts, something like that, to get a little kind of crunchy oh, taste. Wow. One of my wow. favorite cookbooks is more more uh, more with less, and it has a great lentil barley casserole. Okay, really simple mixing mm-hmm. lentils and barley together, um, and then. Some people say, or there's kind of a false myth that it's way too expensive to eat healthy. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely not the case with lentils. One of the beauties of lentils is, is that they're uh, really a very affordable source of nutrition and, and source of protein. Lentils compared to meat would be probably, you know, maybe 20 to 30 percent of the cost of uh, of a gram of protein if you're eating lentils versus. In- Organic lentils. Meat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even, even organic lentils, absolutely. Yeah, for so, sure. So simple, easy peasy. Do you need to soak them? 
No, it's uh, a great question. Uh, most people think of beans. Well, you have to soak them overnight. It takes a long time. Uh, the beauty with lentils is is that uh, depending on the type of lentils that you choose, they will cook at a simmer between five minutes and and twenty five or thirty minutes. Uh, you see some of the lentils on the grocery store shelf; they're kind of a bright pink color. Um, uh, those the skins have been taken off of those, uh, so they imbibe the water very quickly and will cook in about you know in about five minutes. Uh, the lentils that are you know maybe brown or or a French green lentil has a mottled seed coat, black blue lentil, black a green lentil. Uh, those at a simmer take twenty to 25, maybe 30 minutes, depending on the size of the lentil. So they cook very quickly uh, without soaking. Uh, another way that, that I use lentils very regularly is I do soak them overnight. I wake up in the morning, I just throw them in my smoothie. Oh, yeah. oh that's a wow. great idea. I've never tried smoothie. that. Yep. Raw. Yep. Yeah. yeah, cool. Raw and smoothie. Mm-hmm. And they, they last for storage. So, again, lentils are good for the environment. They're good for your pocketbook. They're good for the independent farmer. They're full of antioxidants. And, and they might make you to it a little bit, but you'll get over it. <laughs> at least at first. At this least is Food Freedom Radio. Join us on the other side. This is Danny Ziegler, and my family's restaurant, Our Kitchen, has been located off 36th Street between Aldrich and Bryant for 76 years. Stop in and you'll enjoy some of the most delicious comfort food around. Our made-from-scratch breakfast and lunch dishes like French toast, eggs, and hamburgers will be made right in front of you. And don't miss our award-winning pancakes and hash browns, too. Our Kitchen is open weekdays from 6.30 to 3, weekends 7 to 2, and enjoy our pleasant outdoor seating, weather permitting. Learn more at eatlocalminnesota.com. This holiday season, think outside the everyday chocolate box. Make a splash with your friends, family, and clients with elegantly packaged artisan chocolates from Chocolat Celeste. Come taste the intoxicating flavor of the finest European chocolate, handcrafted with love by founder and chocolatier Mary Leonard. Mary and her staff will help you understand the kind of chocolate that everyone wants and dreams about. Watch while the recipient opens the box. It's like a beautiful piece of holiday artwork. Then watch them taste the sweet and complex flavors. Frangelico, gingerbread, and Thai spice. Make your way to Chocolat Celeste. Open weekdays 10 to 5.30 and Saturday 10 to 5 p.m. Can't make it to Chocolat Celeste? Browse our website, chocolatceleste.com. View the holiday and corporate gift guides. Need help? Call Mary at 651-644-3823. Chocolat Celeste, the way chocolate is meant to be. It's a good day to be indigenous. Native Earth Radio presents I'm Awake. Our weekly Native American talk radio show will discuss national and local Native American news and events. Local and national guests will help us keep current with Mother Earth, tribal, and Twin City issues. Native American issues are human issues. We invite all people to walk hand-in-hand with our struggles, victories, and achievements. Listen Saturdays at 2 p.m. I am awake. Searching for a creative holiday gift idea for the beer connoisseurs in your life? How about a gift certificate from Hoppy Trolley? Hoppy Trolley provides safe, affordable tours of metro area craft breweries and the Northeast Brew District. We go to more breweries than any other tour in town, so you can taste more beer and experience more of what the local craft brewery scene has to offer. Order your Hoppy Trolley gift certificate now at 612-607-3681 or online at hoppytrolley.com. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. to 
Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Karen Olson-Johnson with Laura Headland, And our guest for this, this show, this past show, has been David Oyen, a member of the Lentil Underground. And we would be remiss if we did not talk about the book, um, Lentil Underground. Um, it has incredibly rave reviews. Um, Liz Carlisle has done so competently, and Lentil, un- Lentil Underground discusses the stories of the real revolutions that must be reported from the ground up. And it's in audiobooks now, right, David? Yeah, that's right. Uh, in November, it was released in audiobooks. So yeah. you, can, you can listen to it on the way to the natural food store to buy your organic lentils. <laughs> yeah. So Francis Moore Alepe, uh, the uh, author of The Diet for a Small Planet in EcoMind, said, quote, These farmers demonstrate how to build democracy and build soils at the same time. What a deal. What a deal. <laughs> so, did you ever think you'd get this place 40 years ago? When oh, certainly mind? not. No, so, no. Yeah. Let's repeat the story in case someone's just catching yeah. this, this show late. Okay. Well, uh, myself and uh, three friends and I uh, moved back to our family farms and in the mid-70s, converted them to certified organic in order to um, increase our crop rotations and try to identify some new markets. We started growing lentils, formed this company called Timeless Seeds in 1987 uh, to process and and uh, market lentils to the natural food industry primarily. Now we contract with about 30 farmers uh, around central and eastern Montana, and our crops are found in um, natural food stores all across the country, um, some um, uh, meal kit companies whose name everybody would recognize um, and also food manufacturers and we're getting increasing interest from from uh, food manufacturers like uh, Annie's Homegrown and so forth who are going to start using our lentils uh, uh, flour or our pea flour in some of their products. The lowly and, and lentil. Then, yeah, the lentil <laughs> feeds the soil. It's good environmentally. It has a low carbon footprint. And we could really change the world if we just eat more lentils. Yeah, you know, it, it's actually one charge that I always uh, or I, I often give to audiences when I'm, when I'm giving a talk. I say, don't be, don't be consumers. Be food citizens. Choose consciously and conscientiously what you eat and what you buy because how we're going to change the world is by what is on our plates. Farmers will grow what people eat. If you mm-hmm. if you buy nutritious food, if you buy organic products, there will be more organic farmers. There will be more nutritious um, ingredients And produced. we hear day after day after day of the benefits of a plant-rich diet. Yeah. You know, yeah. Day, I mean, it's, it's, I mean there's, it's so often in the news that it's now it's, it's ubiquitous. We all not understand that, but it's moving more toward that, what a plant-rich diet can do for you. Yeah. Yeah, plant-based protein is, I mean, it, it's really, you know, as they say, the coming thing, except it's already here. <laughs> you know, the, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, still, I really love this quote from your dad that he'd rather have neighbors than the neighbor's land. No. So you're running contrary to that whole idea of get big and make all the weed. And instead, you found a different model, and it's functioning on so many levels. Yeah. yeah. Is this because good. you were a philosophy major? Um, well, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it was just dumb luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, but there is an ethic to good food. You know, and when food's yeah. done done correctly, you know, an ethic of relationship to the planet, you exactly. know, to your neighbor, to yourself, exactly. you know, all of that. So, yeah, 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 that's the case. And, you know, I think uh, the, this book that was written here, you know, four or five years ago, uh, you'd mentioned Francis Morlapay and, and some of the, um, you know, some, some of the blurbs in the book. Uh, the, the author, Liz Carlyle, was actually uh, a student of, um, a protege of, of uh, Michael Pollan at, at UC Berkeley. And, um, you know, she really captures, you know, that the, the book, you know, Little Underground, Renegade Farmers and Future Food in America. You know, it, I mean, it's about lentils, but it's not really about lentils. You yeah. know, it's about so much more, as you were mentioning. I mean, it, it, you know, it's about the ethic. It's about, it's about the importance of making the right choices, both for farmers uh, for consumers and you know and in the federal government and the, and the federal farm programs has a great influence on the future of uh, you know the future of food and the future of our kids and our grandkids. Do we need to bring a plate of Laura's Laura's lentils to the Senate? 
Okay, that's good. Laura, yeah, tell well, us tell us how okay. you make them. Yeah. So I've, I've been cooking with lentils for a long time. But again, I was like, we've got four minutes left. I want to uh, – but everyone has to find their own vibe with cooking with lentils. But sure. I will say the one thing is when um, at the Open Door Food Shelf, we did make seven gallons of food and only spent $10. Um, oh. We got some uh, turkey um, and some potatoes and then we had some lentils and some barley. And we took all of our vegetables and we put them in a big pan. And then we kind of used some of those vegetables with the lentil and barley dish. People preferred the lentil and barley. I was I was actually kind of surprised, but that lentil and barley with just tomatoes, finding your own way of cooking. Uh, one of the simple things I've done now for years is just sautéing onions and garlic, put in some vegetables, add the cooked bar, add the cooked lentils, and whatever spices you want. I like things spicy, but there it is just a very versatile food, and it's also something that's good for gluten free, obviously, and even paleo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is very simple. You know, I mean, and if, if people don't. You don't have time, you know, uh, maybe don't want to dig into a cookbook, even do the, you know, an internet search or something like that. You can just boil up lentils, simmer them for, you know, simmer for 20 minutes, add a little salt, add a little butter, soy sauce, whatever. It's a great side dish. Very simple. And you're done. And it would be a way to, because the lentil is kind of like, I'm going to say it's like a naked food. You can do what you want to it. Exactly. And make it become something, right? Exactly. You know, so if you want it to be an East Indian flavor someday, you want it to be a French flavor another day, you know, I mean, it's it's like. Exactly. It's like a a naked canvas. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. North African, European. Search the internet. You, you'll be you'll be amazed at at the number of culinary choices there are. We've been eating this for over ten thousand years. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but no, that's right. It's, it's also important to buy organic lentils. Do you want to talk about why organic lentils are important? Well, you know, I'm I, I'm an organic farmer, so obviously I'm partial to you know uh, to the organic production system. But you know, the fact is that conventional agriculture has a huge negative impact on the environment. Right? There's a there's a ten thousand square mile dead zone. In the Gulf of Mexico, and the vast majority of what caused that is runoff of pesticides and fertilizers from the Mississippi River uh, drainage area. And uh, you know, the, there are there are, there are many rural wells in in Iowa and many in Minnesota and Montana that that uh, the water is not drinkable because uh, they've got high nitrates in them, which is a direct result of, of over-application and the leaching of nitrogen fertilizer. You know, uh, there are ways that we can make more responsible choices, not only in what we eat, but in the way we farm. You know, and, and, and those two are connected. And if, you know, if, if consumers, you know, food citizens, or if they're food citizens and really care about the environment, uh, and you choose organic ingredients, it will have a positive impact not only on your own health, but on the planet's health as well. Is that your idea of food freedom? Um, yes, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to take that away from the show today. Food citizen. To be a food citizen. And yeah. what does that really mean for our planet, for our, ourselves, our community, all of that. Thanks for that tune, Hunter. That's it. That's One love. Me. Let's there get together. Yeah. yeah. Great. Love those lentils. This is, There's a great book out there called The Lentil Underground. And uh, we've been talking with David Owen. He is the co-founder of Timeless Seeds. He took a Montana wheat farm and his family for three generations and transformed it to lentils. Yeah, go underground with those lentils, baby. You can do it. That's where it happens. It happens in the underground. (laughs) This is Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Make your reservation at CommonRootsCafe.com and take a look at their local, organic, and sustainable menu options. That's CommonRootsCafe.com. This is the place where justice is served. The Norman Goldman Show, AM 950 KT.